my name is Danielle. I was born in Kentucky. We moved to Oklahoma, and then my family went to Africa to be missionaries, and then my dad came back. He started the church, and I went to Bible story or Bible school. We did talk about Bible stories, and then I married my husband. He was in the army. We traveled around a lot, so that was like my life story in like 10 seconds. So you're welcome. Glad to get to know you. Glad to meet you. Uh, but back in December, I really started having something on my heart. I didn't know that I was going to speak today, but I just started, you know, really feeling things on my heart. And I decided to title it Living Fearlessly. But then when I thought about it, I realized I haven't lived fearlessly. There have been times where I've been freaked out. So I thought, you know, that's not really genuine. It's not really the truth. I mean, we all want to get to a place like Paul where we get snake bit, we shake that sucker off, and we're good to go. But, you know, a lot of us, I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would say we're not really at that point. I don't know about you. I'm not at the, you know, shaking off a snake point. But when I was thinking about it, I thought really what I wanted to title my sermon is what to do when I'm afraid. Because... A lot of us maybe are concerned or we're worried or maybe you're just terrified about something. And the question is, okay, when you're in that moment, what do you do after? How do you get to a place of peace where you're just trusting God? And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. You know, most of us are familiar with popular scriptures like, God has not given you a spirit of fear or these like power scriptures that, you know, we know them and we know that we're supposed to have that in our lives. But sometimes it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm afraid right now. I know it says that I'm not supposed to have a spirit of fear, but I'm afraid. And so then we start to feel condemned or start to feel like, oh man, you know, my face not where it's supposed to be. And so a lot of times we just bury how we feel or we deny it and we don't deal with it. And, you know, that that's not faith. Lying about your situation is not faith. And I know sometimes that can be easy to do because you come into church and everyone's got their good-looking clothes on, their makeup, you know, looking snazzy, and they look like they have it all together. And so someone asks you how you're doing, I'm fine. You don't want to tell them, you know, the situation that you're going through or that you're afraid or that you're worried about something going on in your life because a lot of times you don't even know how people are going to respond and so basically nothing gets fixed but the good thing is that God knows us he knows each and every one of us he sees our hearts if you're freaked out he already knows you're freaked out it's not a surprise to him so you know I just really want to encourage you to to be honest with yourself because change doesn't come until you can be honest with yourself. Don't try to go around saying, no, 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 I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. That, that's not going to work. Be honest with yourself. And we're going to talk about how we get to a point from point A where you're terrified to point B where you have peace about a situation. You know, faith says, maybe if you're freaking out, faith says, okay, God, I am freaking out right now. But I know that you care about me, and I trust you, and I love you, and I don't know how, but I know that you're going to get me through this. That's faith. Faith isn't, okay, I'm just not, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. No. Faith is being honest and putting your trust in God. You know, a lot of people are walking around, and 
maybe they seem like they have it all together, but there's a lot of anxiety going around in people, depression and all kinds of internal issues that people never know about. Maybe you're worried about your kids or maybe you're worried about your finances or your job or just, you know, the stability of the community or where you live. Like, just a one-minute soapbox on our little Pueblo. Pueblo's an awesome city. You know, people talk about the crime and the violence and the drugs, but I just want to say that if you feel peace about being in Pueblo, if you feel like this is your city, you are in the best place that you are ever going to be. Because even when we were missionaries in Africa, and I lived in Africa, they had just gone through war, and they were carrying around AK-47s, but because God had planted us there, that was the safest place for us to be. And if you feel called to Pueblo, be in Pueblo. Be all here. Be proud of your city. And thank God that he's turning things around. It doesn't matter what city you go to. It may seem like the perfect suburb where everything's stable and there's plenty of money and there's no crime. But if you put your trust in that city and not in God, the first time something bad happens, your faith is going to shake. And it's going to be like you're on a, an emotional roller coaster. So trust in God. Okay, that was my Pueblo little soapbox. I'm going to step off now. We're proud of Pueblo, right? Amen. All right. So I wanted to share a story about Elijah with you guys. So a little backstory about Elijah. He was like God's gladiator champion prophet. He had seen these awesome miracles happen and... So he was good to go. And he lived in an area that had gone through a really bad drought for three years. And there was a king named Ahab. He and Elijah didn't play nice together. They weren't <coughs> friends. And so, you know, they were having hard times. Well, Elijah was like, okay. In 1 Kings 18, he was like, we're going to have a face-off. The Baal prophets, that's the idol that Elijah, or that King Ahab worshipped. And so they're like, we're going to have a face-off between me, God's prophet, and the 450 prophets of Baal. So he said, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to make altars. You'll make your altar. I'll make my altar. You're going to call on Baal, do whatever you need to do, and the God who answers with fire consumes the whole altar if that's the true God. And so the Baal prophets are like, okay, we got this. So they go and they start calling and they start in the morning, mind you. They're calling and they're trying to get, you know, this fire to come down and nothing is happening. So you're talking about from morning time to the afternoon, nothing happens. And so God has such a sense of humor. I just love it. And in 1 Kings eighteen twenty seven, it says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them, right? He's standing there. He says, You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. Elijah just told them their god went to pee. Like, how funny is that? Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and he needs to be wakened. So the funny thing is, is that they believe him and they start yelling louder. And they had this crazy custom where they start cutting themselves and just carrying on, acting a fool, and nothing happens. So... Elijah's like, okay, stop. Like, we don't have all day, folks. Okay, it's my turn. So he sets up his altar, and that in itself, fire coming down, would be a miracle. But this dude has them dig a trench around the altar 
that'll hold three gallons of water, and then he just tells them to drench the altar until the trench fills up with water. Now, I'm no firefighter, but I know that that won't burn. So he's going to make sure that they know when this happens, it's a miracle. So they, he does all of that, and he just does a simple prayer. Just That's what prayer is, a conversation between you and God, just talking to God, how you would talk to any other person. And he just says his simple prayer, and this awesome miracle happens. Fire comes down, and it not only consumes the altar, but it consumes the water in the trench. And of course, everybody there just falls flat on their face. You know, he is the true God. Well, yeah, after that, I would hope you would think that, you know. <laughs> awesome miracle. So you would just think, okay, this fantastic miracle happens. Elijah has to be on top of the world. I mean, anything's good that happens in your life, you know, you feel just confident afterwards. It really boosts you up. So you know that he's got to be feeling good. Well, when you skip to 1 Kings 19, Ahab, King Ahab goes home, and just a little backstory, his wife is a little cray-cray. Jezebel, she, you do not want to be married to her. Like, my husband lucked out. We, we are not Jezebel. And she, she's just crazy, right? All those prophets were hers. And so Elijah, after he had killed all the prophets, so King Ahab goes home, and he's like, Elijah killed all your prophets. And so here's this awesome thing that has happened to Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19.2, Jezebel says one sentence. She says, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So Elijah's just witnessed this awesome miracle I mean, he ponies up, right? He goes all gladiator on her, like, whatever, woman. No. It says he tucks tail and he runs faster than someone headed to Best Buy on Black Friday. So it's crazy. Like, what is going on? This dude just witnessed this awesome miracle, and now he's terrified because of one sentence that someone says. So it says that he fled for his life, and then he just laid down, and he's like, God, I can't do it anymore. Take my life. Like, you're like, what happened? How did you go from there to here? It makes no sense. And so, but then he falls asleep, because everyone knows that a nap definitely makes everything better. I don't know about you. I have three boys, so when I take a nap and I wake up, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's do this. So, so he, he wakes up, and God sends him an angel to take care of him. It says the angel tended to him, fed him. And, you know, how did God respond in that situation? Did he say, Elijah, you're an idiot. Did you see what I just did? Why are you running from a girl? Like, come on. No. He met Elijah where he was at. He let Elijah wallow for a bit, and he met him where he was at. And I just, I just love that about God. He wasn't judgmental or corrective or harsh with him, like, come on, Elijah, are you kidding me right now? No. And so he asks Elijah, he's like, so what's going on? That's Danielle's Bible version. Don't Google it. You won't find it. In 1 Kings 19.10, Elijah replied, and this is so funny to me. Have you ever thought about what you're going to say to someone and you almost script it out? This sounds to me like he was thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to say to God. So he, Elijah replied, 
I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. (laughs) So God's like, okay, and it happens again. God says, what you doing, Elijah? So like, it didn't, you know, work the first time he repeats. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Like, just in case you didn't hear the first time, God. So, obviously, God knows all of this, and I just love that he responds to Elijah meeting him where he was at. And this is like a bona fide prophet. He should be at the top dealing with these situations. But God's okay with that. He's like, I'm going to meet you where you're at. He provides a solution. Elijah was honest with God, and God met him where he was. And I think, too, this is such an important example. Because if someone comes up to you, and they're worried or they're concerned about something, don't jump on them like slamming them with scripture, like, you need to do this. You're not supposed to be afraid. You're a Christian. Don't do that. Meet them where they're at. Hear them out. Listen to them. And then stand with them and encourage them. Because that's what God did. That's who our model is. You know, when I was 10 years old, I think it was a week before I turned 10, my family went to, it was Zaire at the time now, it's the Democratic Republic of Congo. We went to become missionaries there. And like I had said, there was just a piage that happened, which was war. And so it was still unrest. It wasn't horrible. But when I got there, there were kids my age holding, like little soldiers, 10-year-old soldiers, holding AK-47s. Now, I don't know about you, but I was not mature enough to hold an AK-47 at 10 years of age. So it was a little disconcerting as a 10-year-old. But then I would look at, you know, my dad or my grandpa, and they seemed at ease, like, it's okay. And so as a kid, you're just trusting, you know, you don't need a lot of explanation all the time. And so I was like, okay. And it just kind of became a way of life. Now, I fast forward to when I was 15. I went on a trip for about a month with my grandparents back to Africa. And my parents weren't there at the time, and so... I'm 15 in Africa, and I remember there's a little boy named Papi, and his parents had died in the war. He had gotten separated from them, so my aunt was raising him. So Papi, a missionary, and I were all driving at night, and I remember the car just went kaput. I don't remember if it had a flat tire. There was a mechanical issue, but it would not move. So we were about 15 minutes from the compound where the missionaries lived. And so this missionary told Poppy and I, she said, okay, I want you guys to walk back, go get your grandpa so he can come, you know, and fix the car. And we were kind of like, I don't think that's a good idea. But we did it. And so we were headed back. And Africa is not like America. On, On the street, you might have one street lamp for just a whole entire area. So it was very dark. So we're walking and we're coming close to a street light and we see this group of soldiers. And so we're getting a little leery and Poppy looks at me and he's like, Twende Mbio. That means let's hurry. 
And so, have you ever seen one of those grannies just getting it when you're driving? Like, she's just swinging her arm. She is walking. You're like, go ahead. That's how we started walking because we were a little nervous. And so, right when we go, we pass them. All of a sudden, one of them yells, Mzungu, Mzungu. And that means white person, which was me. And so, Poppy looks at me and like, girl, you better run. And we just take off. We're terrified because soldiers there aren't like soldiers here. They could kill you and nothing happens. So we just beeline it like we're in the Olympics. We run all the way back to the compound where my grandpa is. He's furious that we, you know, got sent because it's not safe. But even in that time when we were both terrified, God protected us. It wasn't like because we were scared or worried that God was like, I'm sorry, I can't help you out. You're not in the place that you're supposed to be for me to protect you, or you didn't have the right confession of faith, you didn't say it exactly like this, so I can't protect you. No, he met us where we were, and we made it back safe and sound. And I just think, you know, God's so cool. He's done that today. He did it way back in the day, and I want to share a story about that with you. And Esther, if you haven't read that book, I like to read it every once in a while. It's just a great story about having to trust God. A little backstory about Esther, if you're not familiar with it. She was a Jew, and she was actually raised by her older cousin named Mordecai, who was also a Jew, because her parents died. And in event of things, she became queen. So she's queen, and, you know, she's a Jew, but the king doesn't realize that she's a Jew. Well, there is also a man, you know, every good story needs a villain, In this story, Haman is the villain. He's the most powerful official in the empire. And every time he walks by, someone's supposed to bow down. Well, every time he walks by Mordecai, Mordecai doesn't bow down. He's he's not having it. And Haman is furious. And then he gets to this point where he's like, it's not just enough for me to kill him. I want to find out what nationality he is, and I'm going to kill them all. Isn't that crazy? Like, So he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, and so he comes up with this sneaky decree about the Jews. He doesn't name them, but how this nationality of people, they're not obeying the laws of the land. And so the king's like, oh, yeah, let's get rid of them. Okay, plan solved. And so Mordecai finds out, and he freaks out old Bible time style. He rips his clothes. He puts on burlap and ashes. Thankfully, people don't freak out like that these days. I'd be like, can you freak out outside, not get your burlap and ashes all over my floor? (laughs) So Esther's like, what's going on? So she sends a message to Mordecai, and he tells her about the new decree, and he asks her to go see the king. And that's where I want to read Esther 4, 11 through 15. She says, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathok gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So she sounds a little concerned about the situation, like you're asking me to go to sudden death. And I love this next verse because Mordecai just kind of has a come-to-Jesus meeting with her. Like, you can get down from your little high throne, sister, and listen to this. 
He sends a reply to Esther and says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And this sentence right here is just powerful. It says, who knows if perhaps you are made queen for just such a time as this. And you know, we can put anything in there. Who knows that you weren't made a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or a mom or a nurse for just such a time as this. Isn't that great? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. She said, y'all better not eat. Better be praying. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. So what's the result? She goes to the king. He holds out the gold scepter. He welcomes her. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he works out a plan, and her people are saved. God protected her. Even when she was afraid, God protected her, and he protected her people. And he takes care of us now. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God spoke over us. And it's just as real and true then as it is now. You know, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the miracles he did back then in protecting us, he's going to do it today. And his peace and his love They're the same too, and we have access to them. And you know, fear is not always rational. It doesn't always make sense because it's fear. And when I had my first child, when we had our first child, he helped. I'll give him a little credit. Easton, I I used to watch this show called Criminal Minds, like a detective type show. And it was like when I had my child, this mom switch flipped and I was terrified. I was like, there are crazy, I could not watch the show. I was like, there are crazy people in this world. And I all of a sudden got this intense fear that someone was going to try to kidnap my son. I mean, he's cute. So I was, it was irrational and I was just terrified. And you know, when you're scared, the devil makes sure that there are things that come along your path just to kind of stoke that fear fire. So not even, you know, probably 20 minutes from us, it was on the news that a little girl had gotten kidnapped out of her apartment window, and we lived in an apartment. So here I am thinking, is it safe if we move the chest of drawers to block the window in the event of a fire? I mean, I'm just irrational, trying to think of things. And I had a video monitor. I would wake up in the middle of the night looking at that video monitor, or if I heard a sound, go check it out. I did not have peace. I was afraid. And man, I should have known God is good. As much as I love my baby, God loves him so much more. And as if that's not enough, I married like my own personal Rambo who like, he's not going to let anything happen to our kids. So between God and him, our babies are safe. And so it took me relying on God But, you know, the devil will try any tactic, any scheme, any thought to destroy you with anxiety. Anything. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, 
Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. You know, that verse isn't trying to scare us like, I told you the devil is trying to kill us. It's trying to make you aware, to be prepared, that the devil's going to try to throw things at you. Because I think as Christians, you know, once you get saved, you think, well, life should be easier now. And it doesn't mean it's going to be rainbows and fluffy bunnies. I mean, stuff gets hard. And you need to know that, you know, if something happens and say you get laid off, if you don't know that God is good and you're trusting in him, you start wondering if you did something wrong or you start to question God. And so this verse is saying, be proactive. Like, don't wait until you're in the middle of the lake to try and fix the hole in your boat. It is not going to work. Like, start now. When things are going well, start trusting God and depending on him. And even if you're in a situation right now where you are worried or you're concerned or stuff's not going well, start now. It's never too late. And remember, God will always meet you where you're at. So I wanted to talk about some action steps that we can get from point A where you're terrified or concerned or worried. You know, God doesn't even want you to deal with those things to where you're at peace when situations happen. You know, I don't know about you. I'm sure you've heard as a mom, it's almost like a badge of honor if you're worried about your children, like you're supposed to be worried about your children. You know, God doesn't even want us to worry. Like he wants us to trust him. And so when everything's under control and going well, we usually don't worry. So basically to not be afraid, we need to know that everything's okay and everything's under control. So we're going to talk about how we get to that point. Well, the number one thing is learn to trust God. I was talking with pastor uh, a while back and he said, well, how would you tell someone to trust God? And I was like, that's a really good question because you can say trust God, but what does that even mean to someone? So, I mean, if you're really going to trust someone, you have to know that person. There was a time, it was either last week or the week before that I was on the couch and Nathan, he said, I'm going to go grab the keys from the car, which was in the garage, so no one steals it. And I said, I'd rather them steal it than come in and kill us. And I know at the time, it didn't sound so dark and broody, so sorry. I know that sounds a little dark. But he just looked at, and if you know my husband at all, he's, he's not like G.I. Joe, man, or he's just really humble, just what he says is what he means. And he said, they'd have to go through me. And in that moment, it was just like, oh, yeah, I know him. I trust him. I wasn't worried or concerned or afraid at all. And that's what God wants with us. He wants us to know him to the point where when he says, I'm going to take care of you, that we're like, okay, I trust that. I'm not worried. And so you have to know God. Trust is a result of knowing someone. And if you think that when something happens that he's trying to teach you something or if someone in your family dies that he, you know, needed them for something, why would you trust someone like that? That's not good. If that's how God was, I would not be preaching here and I would not be singing on that stage. I would cut my losses because if the devil's trying to kill me, 
and God's trying to kill me, I'm going to try and make it on my own. But he's good. He's not like that. Everything that comes from him is good. In James 1.17, it says, Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. So you have to know that bad things don't come from God, ever. So that when something happens, you're not wondering, well, is this something God's trying to teach me? No. Now, when something bad happens, God does turn around situations to where good comes out of it. But that does not mean that he orchestrated that bad situation to teach you something. That's not how he works. He does not use bad things to teach us. And once you realize that and you know he's good, that's how trust comes. You know, I'm not going to go into detail. We've shared our marriage testimony before, but um, we went through a really dark time in our marriage where it took God to save it. And like, even when we were on the good side of it, where it was like, okay, we're getting help. God's taking us out. I still had a hard time trusting God because I wanted to control the variables. So if we would get in a fight, it's like my mind would automatically go to, okay, if we get divorced, I have this career, I can move back to Colorado, live in my parents' basement, I'll be taken care of. It's crazy what your mind goes to. And I would have to verbally say, stop. No, I'm trusting God. He's worked in our marriage. Everything is going to turn out good. It's going to be okay. And I had to do that over and over because it was hard in the beginning. In the beginning, I wanted to figure everything out. I wanted to be in control. And it was like, no, I trust you, God, with this. I know you love me and that you're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of him, and everything's okay. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, pour out all your worries and stress upon him, and leave them there. You know why it says leave them there? Because we try to take it back. We're like, wait, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I can fix this without your help. For he always tenderly cares for you. You know, as humans, we want control, and we kind of get in our own way. It doesn't really matter what personality you have. Maybe you're type A, or maybe you're super laid back. But when it comes to it, you want things to be in control. And when Things aren't in control in in your life. A lot of times, we don't feel better until they are in control. And sometimes we respond like we try to do everything in our own power that we possibly can. And then when we get to the end of ourselves and everything that we've tried, then we're like, okay, God, I need your help. I can't do this. And, you know, you can do that, but God sees you at the beginning. He sees when... You're having that hard time, and you are freaking out. And he's like, I want to help you now. Like, trust in me now. Let's walk through this together, and I'll get you there. And you might still have all your hair, and it won't have fallen out, and you won't be stressed or have a hernia because you've been, you know, freaking out about this. And so that's the number one thing you have to trust God, which comes from knowing him. The number two thing is to renew your mind. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. 
So what does the culture around us say when something bad happens? Well, usually we freak out, and we freak out some more, and then after that we freak out, and that's kind of the end. Like there's no fix to it. And what this verse is saying, like, we don't have to be like that. And actually where it wants us to be is that we can be different. And, you know, you might recognize this, but you might think, okay, I see that that's right and that I should be there, but how do I accomplish it? Well, in this verse, it says the key is in your mind. So what do we do with our mind? We keep focused on God. We remember what the Bible says. Remember, you cast your cares on him, he's going to take care of you. And the results, when you keep doing that, is going to be perfect peace. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you in both inclination and character because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. You know, most of my times and stories of when I really learned to trust God came from being a military wife. And my husband was a part of the Ranger Battalion, and so he had a pretty dangerous job. And I remember one story, we were talking on the phone, and I heard these explosions in the background, and then all of a sudden he yells, we're getting bombed, and the phone goes dead. And so, of course, you know, being the spiritual gladiator that I am, I started to cry. And so my mother was in the kitchen with me, and she just came and just started praying with me. Like, we didn't know what had happened, if he was dead. Spoiler alert, he's not. But we didn't know at that time. And she just prayed with me, and I couldn't understand it, but there was this peace inside of knowing, because that's how God's peace is. It passes your understanding. And I just knew, okay, everything's going to be okay. Two hours passed before I even got a phone call or anything. And he, if you know my husband, he's like, nothing rattles him. He was like, I'm fine. It's, it's all good. Like, you're fine. I'm so happy you're fine. <laughs> it took two hours for you to tell me you were fine. But it's okay. But, you know, I have so many stories like that. It was like a spiritual boot camp for me, being a military wife. But I thought, man... If I make it through this, it's either going to kill me or it's, I'm going to come out looking like Jesus. So I'm not dead. Hopefully I look a little more like Jesus. But step number three, so we have trusting God, renewing your mind, and then step three is repeat as many times as necessary. Because trust me, you might have to do it 20 times in the first 30 seconds because it's just something that you have to cultivate. When you first respond to a situation, it might not be, you might be freaking out. You might be crying. That's okay. God will meet you there. But then you keep doing that, and by the time, you know, something else happens, I was so much better by the fifth deployment than I was by the first deployment. The first deployment, I was a hot mess. I was depressed. I lost, like, 20 pounds. I wasn't eating. My husband was like, go eat a cheeseburger or something, please. He's like, you look like you're starving to death. By the fifth deployment, when things would happen, it's like, Okay, God, I know you've got me. I know you've got this because I cultivated that. And so situations still come up, you know, where our family went through something recently that was really hard to deal with. And, you know, God has helped me every day just to be able to come out of that a conqueror. 
And it comes from cultivating and him meeting us where we're at. And find people who are going to surround you and who are going to encourage you and lift you up. You know, like I talked about, if you know that there's someone who's just going to kind of throw scripture in your face, don't talk to them. (laughs) Go find someone who's going to listen to you and who's going to be like, man, that sucks. Let's pray, right? Because that's where we're at in life. And God is good. Remember that he's good. He only wants good things for you. And he will meet you where you are at. That's what I want you to remember this week.